Reading of the story in page 421 called Window of Opportunity, AA Big Book. This young alcoholic stepped out a second story window and into AA. I got sore while I was still in college. Once outside of a meeting, I overheard a conversation between another sober student and a woman who lived in a town where I went to school. She was explaining why so many local residents disliked the students. She described the common perception of student as arrogant and self-centered and went on to tell the following story. I am a nurse and I work in the emergency room. Two years ago, a student was brought in by ambulance in the middle of the night. He had gotten drunk, walked through a, a second-story window, and fallen 20 feet headfirst into a concrete window well. He was brought in covered with blood. His head had swollen to the size of a watermelon. He kept swearing at the nurses and doctors, telling them to keep their hands off of him and threatening to sue them. He was without a doubt the single most obnoxious person I have ever met. At that point, I interrupted her. That was me, I said. That was my last drunk. I had walked through the window when I was 19 years old. How had, had I gotten there? I had always been a good growing kid growing up, the kind of son and mother loved. I was at the top of a class academically, and I had been in almost no trouble for the first 17 years of my life. I would like to say that that was because of my well-developed moral fiber. In fact, much of it was a result of fear. My earliest memories included threats by my parents to throw me out of, into the street for the slightest act of disobedience. The thought of being forced to live in the street is pretty terrifying for a six-year-old. Those threats, covered with a fair amount of physical punishment, kept me frightened and obedient. As I grew older, however, I made a plan. I would be dutiful until I graduated from high school. Then I would escape to college, secure my economic future, and never go home again. Just after my 18th birthday, I left for college. I was, I thought, finally free. I was in for a rude awakening. Like many alcoholics, I had spent much of my life feeling different, as though I just didn't quite fit in. I covered those feelings and my low self-esteem by being one of the smartest people in any group if not the smartest. Additionally, I became a performer in crowds, always ready with a quick joke to point out the humor in any situation. I managed to bring a great deal of laughter into my life. I went to a college filled with people who had also spent their entire lives or at near the top of their academic classes. Suddenly, I was no longer special. To make matter worse, many of them had what I only dreamed of, money. My family was strictly working class, struggling to get by on what my father earned. Money had always been a big issue, and I equated it with security, prestige, and worth. My father was fond of saying that the sole purpose of life is to make money. I had a classmate whose name were household words that connected well. I was ashamed, ashamed of my family and ashamed of myself. My shaky confidence crumbled. 
I was terrified of being found out. I knew that if others discovered who I really was, they wouldn't like me, and I would be left alone, worthless and alone. Then I discovered alcohol. I had tried it a few times in high school, but never enough to get drunk. I knew that getting drunk meant get being out of control. My escape plan required that I always keep my wits about me. I was too afraid to be out of control. When I got to college, however, that fear left me. In order to fit in, I pretended at first that I had a, a extensive a drinking history as any of my classmates. It was no longer before my history surpassed everyone's. My drinking career was short and destructive, and my alcoholic progress was very fast. I got drunk for the first time in October. By November, people were willing to wager money that I could not go one week without a drink. I won in the celebration drank myself sick. By January, I was a daily drunk, and by April, a daily drug user as well. I didn't last too long. As I look back on that period, I realize how true it is that one of the primary differences between alcoholic and non-alcoholic is that non-alcoholics change their behavior to meet their goals, and alcoholics change their goals to meet their behavior. Everything that had been important to me, all of my dreams, goals, and, and aspirations were swept away in a wave of booze. I realized quickly that I could not drink and function at any high level. That did not matter. I was willing to give up anything so that I could keep drinking. I went from being a solid A student to nearly flunking out of school. From being anointed a, a class leader to being shunned as a, as a parish. I almost never went to class and did little that required reading. I never attended any of the many cultural events sponsored by the college. I forsook everything that makes college worthwhile in favor of drinking. Occasionally, some silver sliver of pride would work its way through the chaos, resentment, and fear and cause me to look at my life. But the shame was too great, and I would drive it back down with the bottles of vodka and cases of beer. Because my college was fairly small, it did not take long for me to come to the attention of the college deans. It was under their watchful eye that I first agreed to enter counseling. While the administration saw this as an opportunity to help a troubled student, I saw it as a bargain. I would go to counseling to make them happy, and they would owe me one. Not surprisingly, the counseling had no effect. My daily drinking would continue unabated. About a year later, I realized that I was in trouble. I had failed a class during the winter term. I had rarely attended and had not turned in the term paper on which 50% of our grade was based. The spring term was looking equally bleak. I was enrolled in a class that I had attended only once. I had not written any of the required papers or bothered to show up for the midterm examination. I was bound for failure and expulsion. My life had become unmanageable, and I knew it. I went back to the dean who had guided me into counseling and, for the first time, admitted to myself and to someone else that I had a problem with alcohol. I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I wasn't even sure what that was, but I knew my life was out of control. The dean allowed me to withdraw from the class the day before the final exam on one condition. 
I had to enter a treatment center. I agree. A few days went by with the pressure lifted. My life did not look so unmanageable. In fact, it looked as if I was back on the, in the saddle. So I thanked the dean for his help, but told him that I would be okay on my own. I did not go to rehab. Two weeks later, I walked through a second-story window. After insulting the emergency room personnel, I slipped into unconsciousness, where I remained for five days. I awoke in a neck brace with complete double vision. My parents were furious. I was flown home, and the future looked bleak. God's timing, however, is impeccable. My college had a long history of drinkers, including Dr. Bob. At that time of my accident, the deans were access, assessing how to respond to student alcohol abuse and were waiting to try out their latest idea, Alcoholics Anonymous. I was a test case. They told me in no uncertain terms that I would never get back into this college unless I went to AA. Under that pressure, I went to my first meeting. Looking back, that may have been the first healthy decision I ever made with respect to alcohol. One definition of a bottom is the point when the last thing you lost or the thing you're about to lose is more important to you than booze. The point is different for everyone, and some of us die before we get there. For me, though, it was clear I was willing to do anything to get back into school. I went to my first AA meeting with absolutely no idea what AA was about. I am from a large Irish Catholic family, and I had had several relatives in and out of the program. AA, like prison, was shameful, however, and was never discussed. I also had no idea what alcoholism was. I remember a girlfriend once told me that her mother had a drinking problem, but that she was not an alcoholic. Curious, I asked, what's the difference was? An alcoholic, she told me, is someone who needs to drink alcohol every day, even if it is only one drink. A person with a drinking problem does not have to drink every day, but once she starts, she cannot stop. By that definition, I was an alcoholic with a drinking problem. I was surprised by my first meeting. It was in a church, and whatever I had expected, it was not this room. This room was filled with well-dressed, smiling, happy people. No rancid coats or three-day beards, no bloodshot eyes, wheezing coughs, or shaking hands, but laughter, laughter. Someone was talking about God. I was sure I was in the wrong place. Then a woman introduced herself and said that she was an alcoholic. I knew then I was in AA. She spoke about feelings of insecurity replaced by confidence, fear replaced by faith, resentment placed by, replaced by love, and despair replaced by joy. I knew those things. I had insecurity, fear, resentment, and despair. I could not believe it. Here was a person who was happy. It seemed like a long time since I, I had seen one of those. After the meeting, people welcomed me with open arms and gave me their telephone numbers. The discussions meetings were followed by a, a speaker meeting where I, I had my first awakening in AA. The speaker said, If you're an apple, you can be the best apple you can be, but you can never be an orange. I was an apple, all right, and for the first time, I understood that I had spent my life trying to be an orange. 
I looked around at a room filled with apples, and if I was understanding the speaker, most of them were no longer trying to be oranges. My progress in AA, however, was slow. I refused to go to meetings outside of my neighborhood, which meant that I went only Tuesdays and Thursday nights. I always felt better after a meeting. I remember times when something upsetting would happen on a Friday, and I would tell myself, I wish it were Tuesday so I could go to the meeting. No matter how many suggestions I heard and how many rides were offered, however, I simply would not go to meetings on those other nights. People gave me many other good suggestions as well. They su- suggested that I stay out of relationships. I was young and single, and I rejected this idea out of hand. For the first year, I bounced from one sick relationship to another. They should suggested that I get a sponsor. I had no idea what a sponsor was and was too proud to ask, but I was sure I didn't need one. After all, I was smarter than the rest of these people. They might need someone to tell them how to run their lives, but double vision, neck brace, and all, I was doing just fine on my own. People suggested that I find a higher power. I was not full. I knew when they said higher power, they meant God. And I knew that God waited, waited for me to step out of line just once so that he could take his revenge. I was no part of God. With this resistance, I plodded along for a few months. Whenever people asked me how I was doing, I would say, fine, just fine, no matter how hard I was crying inside. Then I reached the crossroads. I was sober about six months, and I was not getting any better. I contemplated suicide almost every day. My emotions swung between paralyzing despair and murderous rage, often in the space of a single moment. I was not happy, joyous, or free. I was miserable, and I was sick of it. I decided I had had enough. I went to my Tuesday meeting fully intent on sharing honestly. I arrived at the meeting and no one was there, no one else. This meeting was routinely numbered 20 people, was empty. I waited for a few minutes and was preparing to leave when a man whom I barely knew walked through the door. He suggested that he and I have a meeting. I was sure it was a bad idea. He asked me how I was doing. That was all I needed. The pain, fear, misery, anger, loss, resentment, and despair came pouring out. For the next 45 minutes, I talked to this man who continued to nod his head, smile, and say, Yeah, I remember feeling that way. For the first time, I made complete, honest contact with another human being. I showed someone who I really was. Without fear or rejection, I took an action that was designed to make me feel rather than just look better. I was meant with acceptance and love. When I had finished talking, he told me something simple. You don't have to drink over it. What an idea. I had thought the situation made me drink. If I was angry, I drank. If I was happy, I drank. Bored or excited, elated or depressed, I drank. Here was a man telling me that independent of my life situation, I did not have to drink. If I stuck with AA, I could stay sober under any and all conditions. He gave me hope, and in many ways, he symbolized the door through which I finally walked into Alcoholics Anonymous. I began to change. I began to pray. 
I became active involved in working the steps. I had previously dismissed them as the tools of mental inferiors. Now I embrace them as the rungs of the, on the ladder to salvation. I began working with a sponsor and became active in my home group. I did not understand how making coffee or cleaning up after a meeting could have anything to do with staying sober. But older members could told me that service would keep me sober. So I tried it and it worked. My life began to change just before my first anniversary. I was readmitted to my college. I arrived back on campus terrified. All I had known there was drinking. How was I ever going to stay sober under these conditions? The answer was simple. I threw myself into AA. Some very loving people took me under their wings. I had the opportunity to perform a fair amount of 12-step work with other students. And by the time I graduated, there was a thriving AA community at the school. After graduating, I attended law school. I arrived to find an AA that was very different from that which I had grown accustomed. I was sure I would get drunk because these people weren't doing it right. My sponsor back at college, aware of my propensity for finding fault, assured me that if my new friends were not doing it right, it was my obligation to show them how. So I did. Driven by fear and conceit, I set out to remake AA in my image. I am certain that if membership had depended upon being liked, I would have been expelled. After some time, I called my sponsor to report my progress. He stopped me short with a simple question. These people who aren't doing it right, are they staying sober? I admitted that despite their failings, they were staying sober. Good, he said. You have told them what AA is. Now it's time for you to listen to figure out how they are staying sober. I followed that suggestion and began to listen. Slowly but surely, some wisdom and humility began to creep in. I became more teachable. I found God working all around me where previously I was sure I had been alone. When I opened my eyes enough to see the miracle, I found that it was right in front of my face. I was growing in God's love. I was fortunate to have an opportunity to spend time abroad during law school. That was something I had dreamed of doing while drinking, but when push came to shove, I drank. Now sober, I had been in meetings in probably a dozen countries and have always been amazed at the message that transcends all linguistic and cultural differences. There is a solution. Together we can live soberly, joyously, and freely. Life has been one great joy. I am now 33 years old, and God willing, in one month, I will celebrate my 14th sober AA anniversary. I am surrounded by loving friends of whom I depend on and who depend on me. I have re reconciled with my parents from whom I had been estranged. My life is filled with laughter again, something that alcohol had taken away. I was married shortly after my ninth anniversary to a loving woman. One week before my 12th anniversary, our son was born. Through him, I learned more about unconditional love, the value of wonder, and the sheer joy of being alive. I have a wonderful job that most days I appreciate. I am active in AA service work and have both a sponsor and several sponsees with whom it is a privilege to work. All of those are gifts from God. I express my gratitude by enjoying them.
I once knew a woman who was crying before a meeting. She was approached by a five-year-old girl who told her, You don't have to cry here. This is a good place. They took my daddy and they made him better. That is exactly what AA did for me. It took me and it made me better. For that, I am eternally grateful. Amen. The story on Window of Opportunity, page N421. Welcome to today's Alcoholic Anonymous meeting, the reading of the big book. My name is Fernando. I am an alcoholic, and we've got a Zoom class here. Rick is here. He's also in the program. Amen. We are men at work. We read these things to our content. It keeps us alive. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence, followed by the uh, set-aside prayer, please. God, I set aside everything I think I know about you, everything I think I know about others, everything I think I know about myself and this program, for a fresh new light, a new revelation in you, in others, and in myself and this program. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and start with page 24. Uh, in the AA Big Book, please. The fact is, page 24. Let me go ahead and start. Yes, sir, go ahead. The fact is, most of all us really out of church have lost the power of choice to drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically dominant. We're unable at certain times to bring forth into our consciousness of separating the force, of significant force, of the memory of the suffering, of the humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against this first string. The almost certain consequences follow, taking on even a glass of food out crowd of my Jews. These thoughts occur that they are easily and rapidly supplanted with the old threadbare idea. This time we shall handle ourselves like other, other people. This is a complete failure against this kind of defense. Uh, it keeps one from putting his hands on hot stone. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how, or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way, and the, and after the third or fourth, pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again, only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth string, or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid, and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. There is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we have been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, which we have not even dreamed. 
the great God is just this and nothing less, that we've had deeper, effective spiritual experiences which revolutionize our whole attitudes towards life, towards our fellows, towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is an absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is deep miraculous. He has accomplished it convinced and accomplish those things which we could uh, never do by ourselves. If we were as serious alcoholic as we were, we believed that there's no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible and we had to pass through a region which there was no return through human aid. But we had two alternatives. One was to go to the bitter, go to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of an intolerable situation the best we could and others and the others to accept spiritual help this we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort page 62 please 62 selfishness self-centeredness selfishness self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles driven by a hundred forms of fear self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later places in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourself, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or kills us. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our power. We had to have God's help. This is the how and the why. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we, in the, we decided in the thereafter of the drama of life that God was going to be a, our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was a keystone and a, of, a, of the new triumphant arch which we passed through freedom. When we sincerely took a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer, being all-powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves and our little plans of design. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt a new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence and began to lose fear of today, tomorrow, and thereafter, we were reborn. We were now at step three. Many of us said to our maker, as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Remember, relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. 
page 76, please. When ready. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go off from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Page 86, please. On awakening. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day before we begin. We ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking Him to divorce us from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with insurance. For after all, God gave us brains to use. Our own thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when this thinking is cleared of wrong motives. Thinking about uh, our day, we may face any decisions which we may not be able to determine which course to take. Here's what we ask for God for inspiration and a tutor thought and or a decision. We relax, we take it easy, we don't struggle. We often are surprised how the right answers come after we've tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional <clears throat> inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of observed actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration we come to rely upon it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If students says the word, we ask our, our wives, our friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious domination which requires definite morning devotion, we attend that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set of prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books out there. Suggestions of these may be obtained by one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they have to offer. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful. We ought to ask for the right thought or action. We can constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, that will be done. Just, we are in, in, we are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, or self-pity or foolish decisions. We help. Uh, we become more and more efficient. We do not tire so easily. We are not you know, burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange our lives as ourselves. It works. It really does. Amen. Turn to page 416. 416, please. It helped me a great deal. 
It helped me a great deal to become convinced that alcoholism was a disease, not a moral issue, that I had been drinking as a result of a compulsion, even though I had not been aware of that compulsion at that time, and that sobriety was not a matter of willpower. The people of AA had something that looked much better than what I had, but I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. There was a sentence a certain sense of security in the familiar. At last, acceptance proved to be the key to my drinking problem. After I'd been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol and pills, not finding the program working very well, I was finally able to say, Okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And it is all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? When I stopped living in the problem and began living in the answer, the problem went away. From that moment on, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. I accept it as the answer to all my problems today. When I disturb it because I find some person playing the same situation, it's come back to my, my life unacceptable to me. I can find no security, no serenity until I accept that person place thing or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at the moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake unless, until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept blind completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world. But what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Shakespeare said all the world was staged and all the men and women are merely players. He forgot to mention I was a true critic. I was also able to see the flaw in every person in every situation and I was always glad to point it out because I knew he wanted perfection just as I did. AA and acceptance has taught me that there is a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us. And we and that we are all children of God, we have the right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying I know better than God. For years, I was sure that the worst thing that can happen to a nice guy like me would be that I would turn out to be an alcoholic. Today, I find it is the best thing that has ever happened to me. This proves I don't know what's good for me, and if I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good or bad for you or for anyone. So I'm better off if I don't give advice, don't figure I know what's best, and just accept life on life's terms as it is today, especially my own life as it actually is. Before AA, I judged myself by my intentions while the world was judging me by my actions. Acceptance has been the answer to my marital problems. It is though AA has given me a new pair of glasses. Max and I have been married now for 35 years prior to our marriage when she was a shy, scrawny adolescent. I was able to see things in her that others couldn't necessarily see. Things like beauty, charm, gaiety, a gift for being easy to talk to, a sense of humor, and many other fine qualities. It was as if I had, rather than a Midas touch, which turned... Everything to go, a magnifying mind that magnified whatever it focused on. Over the years, as I thought about Max, her good qualities grew and grew, and we married. And all these qualities became more and more apparent to me, and we were happier and happier. 
But then more, the, but then as I drank more and more, alcohol seemed to affect my vision. Instead of see, continuing to see what was good about my wife, I began to see her defects. And the more I focused my mind on her defects, the more they grew and multiplied. Every defect I pointed out to her became greater and greater. Each time I told her she was a nothing, she reduced a little bit more to nowhere. The more I drank, the more she wilted. Then one day in AA, I told that I was told that I had my lenses on my glasses backwards. The courage of change in the serenity prayer meant not that I should change my marriage, but rather that I should change myself and learn to accept my spouse as she was. AA has given me a new pair of glasses. I can then focus on my wife's good qualities and watch them grow, grow, and grow. I can do the same with an AA meeting. The more I focus my mind on its defects, late starts, long drunk logs, cigarettes more. The worse the meeting becomes, but when I try to see what I can add to the meeting rather than what I can get out of it, and when I focus my mind on what's good about it rather than what's wrong with it, the meeting keeps getting better, better, and better. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. And when I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on a problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the answer, the answer increases. Page 420, please. Perhaps the best thing of all is to remember is that my serenity is inversely proportional to my expectations. The higher my expectations of Max and other people, the lower my serenity. I can watch my serenity level rise when I discard my expectations, but my rights try to move in. They too can force my serenity level down. I can discard my rights as well as my expectation by asking myself, how important is it really? How important is it compared to my serenity and my emotional sobriety? And when I place more value on my serenity and my sobriety than anything else, I can maintain it at a higher level, at least for the time being. Acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit around and do nothing while waiting for Him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever's in front of me to be done, and I leave the results up to Him. However it turns out, that's God's will for me. I must keep my magic magnifying mind on my acceptance and off my expectations. For my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. When I remember this, I can see I never had it so good. Thank God for AA, page 552. 552. Five, he said, in effect, if you have resentments that you shouldn't want to be free of, if you pray for that person or that thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask for the, in prayers for everything that you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. If you ask for their health or prosperity or their happiness, you will be free. Even though if you really don't want it for them, and your prayers are only worse and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyways. Do it every day for two weeks and you will find that you will come to mean it and want it for them. And you will realize where you used to feel bitterness and and resentment and hatred. You now feel compassion, understanding, and love. It worked for me then and worked for me many times since. It will work for me every time I'm willing to work it. Sometimes I have to ask for the freedom, uh, for the willingness, but it always too comes. And because it works for me, it will work for all of us. And another great man says, the only real freedom a human being could ever know is doing what he has to do because he wants to do it. It's this great experience that it relieves me. 
from the bondage of hatred and replace it with love is really just another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need in Alcoholics Anonymous and everything I need I get. And when I get what I need, I am verily find that it was just what I wanted all the time. Page 100, please. Both, <clears throat> both you and the new man. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. Page 83, please. We face many of other spaces of development. We will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom, a new, a new happiness. We will never break the past or since the war. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace no matter how far down the scale we have gone. We will see how our experience can benefit others and the feeling of usefulness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations that do so baffle us. We suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They're being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Work, work, work. Page 85, please. 85. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest in our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle fall. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line, all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from Him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of His Spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further, and that means more actions. Page 43, please. Once more, the alcohol at certain times has no effect on mental defense against his first strength. Except for a few other cases, even or any other human being could be provided with such a defense. This defense must come from a higher power. DN, wonderful, wonderful words of life. Thank you very much. Let's go ahead and pray and ask God to bless our sobriety today. We'll finish this meeting with the Lord's Prayer, please. Okay. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Take care, Rick. See you guys. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Bye, Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. We're coming in today's Zoom class. We appreciate you. Let's go ahead and start out with this set-aside prayer. God, I set aside everything I think I know about you, everything I think I know about my fellow man, myself, and this program for a fresh new revelation in you, in my fellow men, in this program, and in myself, for your will and for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's go ahead and get started. We'll go ahead and start with uh, page 25, where it says there is a solution. I'll go ahead and read one. Page 25, it says, There is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we have been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to do but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, which have we have not even dreamed. Go ahead, Rick. The great fact is just this, but nothing less, that we've had a deep, effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that we, our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is deep miraculous. He has convinced and accomplished those things which we could ever do for do by ourselves. Amen. If you're as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there's no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situations the best we could. It was the other to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. Okay, bottom of page 62. This is a how and the why of it. First, first of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass through freedom. Pass. When we sincerely took a position with all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, we provided what we needed to keep close to him and perform his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves and our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt a new power flow in. As we enjoyed peace of mind, we discovered we could face life successfully. We became conscious of his presence and began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or thereafter. We were reborn. Keep going. Keep going. We were now on step three. Many of us said to our maker, "Was we understood God? I offer myself to the 
Bill with me as I will and do with me as I will. with me and do with me as I will. Relieve me from the bondage of self and that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties and victor over them. And bear witness to those who have helped of thy power, thy love, thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. Turn to page 76, please. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that he should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Go page 86, please. On awakening. 86. Mm-hmm. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. Pass. Thinking about our day, we face the decision we may not be able to determine which course to take. Here's where we ask God for inspiration, a tune of thought, or decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We often surprise on how right the answers are after we try this for a while. What used to be the hunch of occasional inspiration of gradually becomes working part of the mind. Being all, being still experienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. You might pay for the presumption of all sorts of scared actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find ourselves, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be. That we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We're careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that. It doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggesting about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. Pass. As we go through the day, we pause with agitated or doubtful. We ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, that will be done. We are in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decision. We may become more and more efficient. We do not tire so easily, we are, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we give when we are trying to arrange our lives to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. 
Amen. Turn, turn to page 416, the bottom of 416. This, at last, acceptance proved to be the key to my drinking problem. After I had been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol and pills, now finding the program working very well, I was finally able to say, Okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it, it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And it's all right with me. Now what am I going to do about it? When I stopped living in the problem and began living in the answer, the problem went away. From that moment on, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. Pass. And accepting is the answer to my problems today. When I'm disturbed is because I find some person, place, or thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation being exactly the way it's supposed to be at the moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I can accept my alcoholism, I cannot stay sober. Unless I accept my life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world, but what needs to be changed, what changed in me and my attitudes. Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage, all the men and women are merely players. And we've forgotten to mention that I was a true critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation, and I was always glad to point it out because I knew he wanted perfection. Just like it. And acceptance has taught me that there's a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us. And that we are all children of God. We all each have the right to be here. <clears throat> when I complain about about you being, I'm complaining more about you. I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying I know better than God. Page 419, please. Then one day in AA, I was told that I had the lenses in my glasses backwards. The courage to change in the serenity prayer meant not that I should change my marriage, but rather that I should change myself and learn to accept my spouse as she was. AA has given me a new pair of glasses. I can again focus on my wife's good qualities and watch them grow, grow, and grow. I can do the same thing with an AA meeting. The more I focus my mind on his defects, late starts, long drunkologues, cigarette smoke, the worse the meeting becomes. But when I try to see what I can add to the meeting rather than what I can get out of it, and when I focus my mind on what's good about it rather than what's wrong with it, the meeting keeps getting better and better. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. When I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on a problem, <clears throat> the problem increases. If I focus on the answer, the answer increases. Page 420, please, perhaps. Perhaps the best thing for us, for all of us, for, for all of us, <laughs> perhaps the best thing for all, for me, and remember that my serenity is universally proportional to my expectations. The higher my expectations of Max and other people are lower my serenity. I can watch my serenity level rise when I discard my expectations, but by my rise to try to move in, they too can force my serenity level down. I can discard my rise by as well as my expectations by asking myself, how important is it really? How important is compared to my serenity and my emotional sobriety? And when I place more value on my serenity and sobriety than anything else, I can maintain it at a higher level, at least for the time being. 
Except we have to keep me the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit around doing nothing while waiting for him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever is in front of me that needs to be done and leave the results up to him. However, it turns out, that's God's will for me. I must keep my magic mind magnifying magic magnifying mind on my acceptance and off my expectations for my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. When I remember this, I can see I never had it so good. Thank God for AA. Page 552, please. He said, in effect, if you have resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to give to them, you will be free. As for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free, even when you don't really want it for them, and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it. Go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks, and you will find you have come to mean it and want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you now feel compassionate, understanding, and love. It worked for me then, and has worked for me for many times since. I will, it will work for me every time I'm willing to work it. Sometimes I have to ask for the willingness, but it too always comes. And because I, it works for me, it will work for all of us. And another great man says, the only real freedom a human being could ever have, ever know, is doing what he ought to do because he wants to do it. This great experience has released me from the bondage of hatred and replaced it with love and really just another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need from Alcoholics Anonymous. When I, everything I need, I get. And when I get what I, I need, I invariably find it's just what I wanted all the time. Amen. A page 100, please. 100, both you and the new man must walk day by day in spiritual progress. And the path of spiritual progress. If you pers- persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things that came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstance. Page 83, please. Please. 
It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble, we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Not thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from Him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of His Spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God-conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further, and that means more action. Page 43, please. Beautiful, wonderful readings. These words give life. Thank you so much for coming in today's podcast of our gym. Actually, it's uh, men working. Let's go ahead and finish this uh, with the Lord's Prayer, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen Amen. i'll see you rick see you everyone keep coming back yeah bye bye I'm ready. We all ready. Thank you guys for coming in here. Today's reading of the AA Big Book. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. I pray you guys have a... a, a a good day because of this reading. It'll, it'll enlarge our, uh, it'll make us uh, more aware of, of the good happenings. Can you please get us started on page 416 again? And, and read, yeah, read about three paragraphs. For, uh, while, while I say the, the supply prayer. <laughs> okay. It'll be a great deal to become convinced that all of us are more or less you have was a result of a compulsion, even though I had not been aware of that compulsion at the time. I had not had been aware of uh, And the sobriety was not the matter of willpower. The people of AA had something to look much better than what I had. I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. There was a certain sense of security in the familiar. 
I laugh, except it has been proven that he by a drinking problem. I have not been around, I have, I have, after I have been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol pills, not finding a program working very well, I was only able to say, okay, God, it's true. Uh, of all people, strangers to be seen, you know, I get my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. It's all right with me now. What am I going to do about it? When I stopped living in the problem, began living in the answer to the problem, went away. From that moment on, I have not one single compulsion to track. Amen. Uh, let's go to page uh, 24. 24. The fact is that most alcoholics, for yet reason obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind. If these thoughts occur, they are hasty and really supplanted with the old, the old treadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There's a complete failure of this kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. A alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how, or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way, and after the third or fourth, pounded in the bar and said for ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started like this? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink, or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thing is fully established in an individual with alcoholism, he probably placed himself beyond human aid. Unless locked up, being diagnosed permanently insane, these starting ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there have been thousands more to convince the demonstration. So many others want to stop, but cannot. There is a solution. Most of us like uh, self-searching, living our pride, confessions of shortcomings, which <clears throat> which the progress requires for a successful conversation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had to come to believe in the, in the hopelessness and the fertility of life as we <clears throat> had been living it. When therefore we were approached by those who the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us to do but pick up a simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven and rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, which we, we have not even dreamed. This great, this great fact, fact is just, is just nothing just less, less that we, that we have, have been, been hang, on. hang on, let me turn, let me one, turn of one of these apparatus off, okay, got it, I had it, the great fact is just this and nothing less that we had had deep and effectual, oh, I'm sorry, there we go, <laughs> one more time. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we had had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, toward our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our life today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and, and lives in which way it's indeed miraculous. 
He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do for ourselves. If you are seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there's no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. The other was to accept spiritual help. Amen. Let's go ahead and go to page uh, 100, please. 100. And uh, go ahead and start us off. Amen. And then I'm going to go ahead and read uh, 418 on acceptance. But go ahead and go to the uh, to the promises on page 80, 84, please. Go to the promises. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life, unacceptable to me and i can find no serenity until i accept that person place or thing or situation has been exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment nothing absolutely nothing happens in god's world by mistake until i could accept my alcoholism i cannot stay sober unless i accept life completely on life terms i cannot be happy i need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes go ahead we're painting about this vision of our development. We will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are, no, we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace no matter how, no matter how, no matter how far down the scale we have gone. We will see how many, how our experiences can benefit others. This is that feeling of usefulness and self pity will disappear. And it will lose interest in our selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. <clears throat> Self-seeking, it will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Here, people in economic security will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which use the us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these experimental promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Amen. Page 87. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that will be shown all through the day what our next step is to be. 
that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. Pass. If circumstances is warm, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious domination which requires definite morning devotion, we attend that also. If we're not members of a religious body, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books out there also. Suggestions of these may be obtained by one priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to use what? Be quick to see where religious people are right. This is what they have to offer. Amen. Uh, one. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful. We ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Uh, I've been saying to ourselves many times each day that it will be done. We are not. We are. Then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become more and more efficient. We do not tire so easily. We are not bringing up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange our lives to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. Amen. Go ahead and jump to page 43 while I'll read page 485. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further, and that means more action. Page 43. Once more, the alcohol at certain times has no effect on his mental defense against his first strength. Except for a few rare cases, Dylan or any other human being can be can provide such a defense. This defense must come from a higher power. Dean, beautiful, beautiful, wonderful words of life. Let's go ahead and pray out with the Lord's Prayer, please. Thank you, everyone, for coming on here today. Have an excellent, excellent day, and Merry Christmas. All right, here we go. After Mona's silence. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, man. It's working. All right. Good to see you, friend. See you guys. See you later. Take care, Rick. See you tomorrow. Today's podcast. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Today, reading daily reflections, we're going to go ahead and read 28, 29, 30, and 31. Amen. Let's go ahead and read the first one. It says, suit up and show up. Let's go ahead and pray ahead of time, please. God, 
Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change those things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Amen. All right. <laughs> Let's go ahead and uh, read AA. In AA, we aim not only for sobriety, we try again to become citizens of the world that we rejected and of the world that once rejected us. This is the ultimate demonstration towards which 12-step work is the first but not the final step. Let me read that again, please. In AA, we aim not only for sobriety, we try again to become citizens of the world that we rejected and of the world that once rejected us. This is the ultimate demonstration towards which 12-step work is the first but not the final step. Wow, as Bill sees it, page 21. Incredible readings, huh? <clears throat> the old line says, suit up and show up. That action is so important that I like to think of it as my model. I can choose each day to suit up and show up or not. Showing up at meetings starts me towards feeling a part of that meeting. For then I can do what I'll say I'll do at meetings. I can talk with newcomers and I can share my experience. That's what credibility, honesty, and courtesy really are. Suiting up and showing up are the concrete actions I take in my ongoing return to normal living. Man, that's cool stuff. That's what we're doing. That's what I'm doing. That's what you're doing. Thank you, God, that iron sharpens iron. December the 29th. The joy of living. Therefore, the joy of good living is the theme of AA's 12 Steps. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 125. AA is a joyful program, even so I occasionally balk at taking the necessary steps to move ahead and find myself resisting the very actions that could bring about the joy I want. I would not resist if those actions did not touch some vulnerable area of my life, an area that needs hope and fulfillment. Repeated exposure to joyfulness has a way of softening the hard outer edges of my ego. Therein lies the power of joyfulness to help all members of AA. Wow, wonderful, beautiful, extremely powerful words of life. Our next reading is Anonymity. 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 Ah, Chingao. December the 30th. Anonymity. <laughs> I'm joking, guys. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Alcoholic Anonymous, page 562. Tradition 12 became important early in my sobriety and along with the 12 steps. It continues to be a must in my recovery. I became aware after I joined the fellowship that I had personally personality problems, so that when I first heard it, the tradition, tradition's message was very clear. 
There exists an immediate way for me to face with others my alcoholism and attend anger, and attendant anger, defensiveness, and offensiveness. I saw Tradition 12 as being a great ego deflator. It relieved my anger and gave me a chance to utilize the principles of the program. All of the steps in, in this particular tradition have guided me over decades of continuous sobriety. I am grateful to those who were here when I needed them. Again, folks, maybe not you, but me. I need to read this again, please, and take it bit by bit. Here we go. Thank you. Tradition 12 became important early in my sobriety and along with the 12 steps. It continues to be a must in my recovery. I became aware after I joined the fellowship that I had personality problems. Huh, imagine that. So that when I first heard it, the tradition's message was very clear. There exists an immediate way for me to face with others my alcoholism and attendant anger, defensiveness, of offensiveness. I saw Tradition 12 as being a great ego deflator. It relieved me, it relieved my anger and gave me a chance to utilize the principles of the program. All of the steps and this particular tradition have guided me over decades of continuous sobriety. I am grateful to those who were here when I needed them. And the principle is, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. Ever reminded us to place principles before personalities. And in our sister program, Elnon, I'm, I'm a double winner, by the way. I go to Elnon meetings. They say principles above personalities. Principles above personalities. Amen. All right. December 31st, come to the end of the year. Hallelujah. The idea of 24-hour living applies primarily to the emotional life of the individual. Huh. The idea of 24-hour living applies primarily to the emotional life of the individual. Emotionally speaking, we must not live in yesterday nor in tomorrow. As Bill sees at page 284. A new year, 12 months, 52 weeks, 365 days, 8,760 hours, 525,600 minutes. A time to consider directions, goals, and actions. I must make some plans to live a normal life, but I also must live emotionally within a 24-hour frame. For if I do, I don't have to make New Year's resolutions. I can make every day of a New Year's Day, I can decide, today I will do this, today I will do that. Each day I can measure my life by trying to do a little better, by deciding to follow God's will, and by making an effort to put the principles of our AA program into action. Amen. And I wonder how many 525,600 minutes and 24 Hours. I was going to multiply that by seconds. The may is 60 times 525,000. What does that come out to? You know, this kind of exercise, it helps me to 
exercise my thinking brain. Okay, you got 525,600 minutes and you divide each one by 60. Now I'm getting confused because I'm talking to you. You are, you're pulling my enthusiasm. Uh, sorry about that. Here we go. Okay, let's go ahead and uh, I was going to multiply it by 60. Okay, let's try that. 60. See what happens. We get 31,536,000 seconds in a year. That sounds about right, huh? Okay. Well, I'll take it. 31 million. We are rich. We are rich in this program because of the words and the uh, and the understanding. And we've been still. We we're able to be still and know that God is God and we are not. And God has a plan and a program. And we say uncle, and it works. I don't know how it works, but my bills are paid. I'm relaxed. I can go to meetings. You know, the 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 objective is. Happily, joyfully, and freedom. Happily, I got my bills paid. Joyfully, I can go places and do things. And I can have freedom. You know, one of the things that emphasized is the freedom is make plans, but God will make, will pull out the the, the reply. We make plans, but, but God will. And also... I, I make plans. Today, I'm putting down everything I achieve for this 24 hours, just like Bill said it. I just got to, I said, how can I accomplish something today, God? And then I'll write down whatever I accomplished. Like this reading, I'm going to write it down. Really, the idea of 24-hour living applies primarily to the emotional life of the individual. Case in point, folks, right there, that we need to high-five ourselves, give ourselves an emotional hug, and, and, and reward ourselves for something well done on a minute-by-minute, individual, daily basis. Emotional speaking, we must live in believing today by, by acknowledging our small accomplishments, folks. And then building on that love and that, that we need to love ourselves for our actions and our accomplishments on a daily basis and build on that love. Once we build on that love, the future is going to come easily, folks. You know, we're not beating ourselves up because of yesterday. We're not beating ourselves up what we got to do tomorrow. We're building ourselves up on what we have accomplished today. And us listening to the this podcast is a an accomplishment. I guarantee it, folks. I guarantee it. I've been studying this for 40 years, folks. And every... <clears throat> yeah, you said you still haven't got it right. You say, huh? Bunch of smart aleck people. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and move on. I want to thank you so much, everyone, for coming to today's reading. Uh, we're going to read uh, Proverbs 28 from our, my sponsor, King Solomon, who 
his his words resound loudly in my head. You know, I'm always hearing him as I go through the day. When I read these out loud, the right words stick with me. Watch. This one's called warning and instructions. Woo! I love it already. Proverbs 28. Warnings and instructions. You know, one of the strongest words in the in language is warnings. You know, war. There's a war up ahead. Warnings. There's a storm up ahead. And instructions. Instructions is a two by four for me. I only pay intentions. I only pay attention if I get struck. I get struck with a two by four. I get instructions. That's how God got my attention in the beginning. That's how I knew he loved me. Every time I strayed away from AA and I went back to the dance bar, I got instructed with a two by four in the means of a bill or, or fights or getting thrown out and, and, and out of dance places and stuff like that. I just ran back into the safe haven. Huh. Okay. Proverbs 1, Proverbs 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues them, but the righteous are as bold as lion. The wicked flee when no one pursues them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. When a land does wrong, it has many princes. But when the ruler is a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability endures. Our stability is going to endure, folks, because we are listening to these words that come from a ruler, which is God. And he's given us these words, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of God's honor and glory is here with us. And he and he, this is his kingdom. And we are under it, on it, around it. When a ruler is a man of understanding, God, and a, a man of knowledge, God, its stability endures, and we are his subjects, folks, under this canopy of the recovery AA momentum. Amen. Number three, a poor man who oppresses and exploits the lowly is like sweeping rain, which leaves no food. Those who set aside the law of God and man praise the wicked, but those who keep the law of God and man struggle with them. Evil men do not understand justice, but they who long for and seek the Lord understand it fully. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity integrity, than he who is crooked and two-faced, though he is rich. He who keeps the law of God and man is a wise and discerning son. But he who is companion of gluttonous humiliates his father and himself. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury, excessive interest, gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. He who turns his ear away from listening to the law of God and man, even his prayer is repulsive to God. He who leads the upright astray on an evil path will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. The rich man who is conceited and relies on his wealth instead of God is wise in his own eyes. But the poor man who has understanding 
because he relies on God, is able to see through him. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory and celebration. But when the wicked rise to prominence, men hide themselves. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but whoever confesses and turns away from his sins will find compassion and mercy. Blessed and favored by God is the man who fears sin and his consequences at all times. But he who hardens his heart and is determined to sin will fall into disaster. Like a roaring lion and a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A leader who is a great oppressor lacks understanding and common sense, and his wickedness shortens his days. But he who hates unjust gain will be blessed and prolong his days. A man who is burned with the guilt of human blood, murder, will be fugitive until death. Let no one support him or give him refuge. He who walks blamelessly and uprightly will be kept safe. But he who is crooked, perverse, will suddenly fall. He who cultivates his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless people and frivolous pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful, right-minded man will abound with blessings, but he who hurries to be rich will not go unpunished. To have regard for one person over another and to show favoritism is not good. Because of a piece of bread, a man will transgress. He who has an evil and envious eye hurries to be rich and does not know that poverty will come upon him. He who appropriately reprimands a wise man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. He who robs his father or his mother and says, This is no sin, is not only a thief, but also the companion of a man who destroys. An arrogant and greedy man stirs up strife. But he who trusts in the Lord will be blessed and prosper. He who trusts confidently in his own heart is a dull, thick-headed fool. But he who walks in skillful and godly wisdom will be rescued. He who gives to the poor will never want. But he who shuts his eyes from their need will have many curses. When the wicked rise to power, men hide themselves. But when the wicked perish, the consistently righteous increase and become great. Thank you so much for coming to today's podcast. I enjoy these small readings with you and enjoy your fellowship. Let's go ahead and, and close our meeting with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it.